It's so hard. So hard. I love cookies. Hi, guys. Happy Tuesday. We are back with another episode of Real Fucking Talk. Today, I have on Lindsay Metzlar, who is the host of We Met at Acme podcast, which is all about millennial dating. And she also runs the Instagram account, Don't Expect Salads, which posts the most delicious food ever. So hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for joining. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a perfect start to the week. I know. I know. This For those of you listening, we're recording this Monday morning. We just had an amazing weekend. I don't know. Did you celebrate this weekend, Lindsay? Of course. I celebrated... So much. So I actually was with um, a bunch of like a small group of friends in New Jersey when we found out and I was actually away from my boyfriend for the night. We like took the first night off since COVID and I was like, what can happen? That's like so crazy. (laughs) And obviously the entire world changes and I'm like, I need to get back to the city. Oh my God. Did you go back to the city and celebrate there? I did, but by the time I got back, that everyone had like gone home, you know. But I still was like, I'm gonna dance, and we're gonna play music, and that's gonna make me happy because I just want to celebrate. I know. What I got I... there in time, which was great. Oh, that sounds so fun! One of my best friends lives in Brooklyn, and she sent me videos of her day. It was literally magical. It looked unreal. It really looked amazing. All of the videos from like. Washington Square Park and like Brooklyn and I was amazing. Oh my god it was such good news we really needed this as a country and I'm just happy to have a leader who cares about people again like I wonder what that's like I've forgotten. Literally forgotten and it's such a great feeling that we get to be reminded again. I know I know so it seems like we are both feeling great today but I do want to start and check in with you. How is your mental health today? My mental health today is like kind of resetting. I feel like I always it's like a free-for-all on the weekend (laughs) and I'm not always like good to my body and you know in touch with myself on the weekends and then like Monday's like a reset so you know right before we started I was eating my yogurt bowl like that's where I'm at today just trying to reset and feel good because for me when I'm eating good stuff my little bit better than when I'm eating like shit and like it's like I treat myself how I treat other other people. So like if I'm being nice to myself, I'll be nice to other people. And if I'm like mad at myself, I'll be mad at other people, you know? Huh, that is so interesting. Wow. I like that. It's really it's it's something that I've realized. Like if I'm like being snappy with other people, I'm like, am I being nice to myself right now? Ooh, I wonder how true I've never thought about it like that. I wonder how true that is for kind of society as a whole. I wonder if the meaner we are to ourselves, are we ruder to others and stuff like that? That is so interesting. I feel like it's something that I definitely have actually learned through therapy. Wow. Wow. I love that. And we will get into that. I want to share my mental health is thriving. As we were just saying, the news this weekend was great for both of us. Um, So I am feeling really good. And actually, it is November 9th, and it feels like it is in September. 
It is beautiful out. It is so sunny. So I am loving this. Um, loving this. Loving this weather. I cannot get outside enough today. Um, so I selfishly am dying to know how you got started with your podcast and the food Instagram. And we will hop into the therapy and mental health aspect later. But fill me in on how you got started with your brand. Totally. So the food Instagram was always just a fun thing on the side. I eat like a five-year-old. And so I was like, let me document the fact that I hate salads. And I did that, you know, years ago, like when I first graduated from college in 2012. And it just took off in the sense that like a lot of other people also hate salads, but it's not, it's not like something that I, you know, it's not my livelihood, but it's fun. And then the podcast came about, so I was doing social media management and it was great. And I still do it sometimes not super fulfilling mm-hmm. for me. Um, and so I actually was dumped like on my birthday yeah. and it was a crazy thing. And I was like, how did this happen? And I realized that I didn't know as much about dating as I thought I did. Oh. And so I was like, I want to talk to friends about their dating experiences and talk about my dating experience. At the time, there wasn't a podcast about dating. It was really like crime and, um, you know, news podcasts. And so I was like, I need to create something that I actually need. And that's how We Met at Acme came to be. Okay, I just have a question. What kind of inhumane individual dumps someone on their on their birthday? The worst person in the world. Honestly, to this day, I'm like, how did I date this person? All the signs were there, but I was just not aware of it. I also was like, you know, smoking a lot of weed and very checked out in a lot of ways. So I was like letting myself kind of make terrible decisions that is so insane like he couldn't have waited 24 hours he's disgusting well I mean okay so he thought that he had broken up with me like two days before (laughs) but it wasn't a real actual breakup I was so confused on my actual birthday he texted me and he was like happy birthday Lindsay and I was like wait what like my boyfriend wouldn't send me a text just saying happy (laughs) birthday like are we not dating and then we had to like break up again. Oh, and it was, it was no. a disaster. No. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that sounds mm-hmm. terrible. It like kind of similar. A couple of years ago, my boyfriend Pat and I had gone on a break, and the break mm-hmm. happened while we were while my birthday was happening. So he like took me out to dinner, and it is a movie scene because we're at dinner and he's like, I'm happy that we're celebrating together. And I'm literally start bawling. I'm like, this is so sad. Why are we on a break? This is my birthday. Oh my God. Yeah, no exact vibes. Like just, (laughs) just horrible. Like if you're going to break up with someone, just do it a little bit before we're going to break with someone. Just like try to not have it be around the birthday. Even if the birthday is not a big deal to them, it's just so annoying. Like maybe look at a calendar and try and schedule it. Like really just like be be nice about the timing. Be nice. Be a nice human. That is the shirt I wore yesterday. It just says be a nice human on it. Yeah. 
Literally, just be nice. <laughs> so when we spoke on the phone a few weeks ago, you had briefly mentioned you had experience in therapy and you kind of talked a little bit about dating in therapy. So tell me more about that. Yeah. So for me, I went to therapy because I was not in a good place. I was depressed. I was just like, you know, it it initially happened because I was like not getting along with people in my family and I was depressed. So I went into therapy because of that. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, therapy is so helpful Yes, that of course it ended up helping me with my dating life. Yeah. What was that like? So were you in therapy during the douche bag boyfriend? I was, I was, but obviously, you know, the thing with therapy for me is that therapy didn't really work a hundred percent for me until I stopped like lying to myself and I got sober, which is the thing that I needed to do. So like I never told my therapist, like, hey, I'm smoking weed, like, 10 times a day. I'm, like, high in our sessions. Like, no. Like, I would just tell her things in my life and she would help me. But, like, if I had taken that away, then the actual things that I learned in therapy, because mine was cognitive behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. then I would actually be able to apply them. But because I was, like, altered in my mind and mood... I, it it just like, it wasn't really working. Like, did I have someone great to talk to? Yes. But was I changing as a person? No, because I wasn't being honest with myself. So I was in therapy with that guy, but I didn't realize anything, you know, like I wasn't having these like realizations that you're supposed to have in therapy. Totally. Um, And I think what you said before is so spot on you do have to really be honest with yourself, but that's really hard because a lot of times when we're struggling with something, we can say it internally to ourselves, but when we say things out loud, we feel like, oh shit, it's really real now. Exactly. And that was the issue for me. I was like, I just can't be completely honest with my therapist. And I wonder how many people are not completely honest with theirs because I'm sure it's a it's a big number. And I actually feel like I should ask it as a poll question at some point. You absolutely should. And Lindsay, I literally am a therapist and there are times in my own therapy sessions that I, like when I am the client, I will mm. have to hype myself up and be like, you need to say this in therapy. You need to tell your therapist. But there's some weird part of me that's like, I don't want to be judged and I don't, you know, if I say it, it's real. Where like your therapist is not going to judge you. It's real anyway, whether you say it or not, but it's still really hard. Totally. So hard. So hard. So you had mentioned that, well, a couple of weeks ago, you had actually put a post on Instagram celebrating your two years of sobriety. So congratulations to you. That is huge. Thank you. So what kind of led you to getting sober? For me, it was just that I... It was, it was a weed thing for me, which it's, it's a new-ish thing that people are openly saying is addictive, Okay, but uh, a lot of people don't know that it is, and for me, I was for sure addicted to weed, and it became this thing where I felt like I needed weed to like be chill because I'm very type A, um, and then 
you know, it started with like having fun with friends and it just like progressively got worse and worse. Mm. And it got to the point where I was like a slave to the weed. Like I needed to know that like the friend I was hanging out with would let me smoke. And I only wanted to surround myself with people who smoked. And I, if I was traveling, I needed to have weed on me. And I, you know, only felt like myself when I was high and just like things that were very alarming. Um, But I didn't really realize it until I, you know, had conversations with other friends who were sober or friends who didn't smoke and kind of like looked within. And again, like I wasn't telling my therapist how much I smoked. So it wasn't going to come from her because she had no idea. Um, And yeah, I just kind of like hit a rock bottom where I was like in a place where I didn't have weed and I went kind of nuts And I, you know, had like manic episodes and just like was very unwell in my mind. Like I remember thinking like I'm unhappy, so I want everyone to be unhappy Uh, and just mm -hmm. very dark thoughts. Like it was scary for me to be alone with my thoughts. Mm. That I feel like that, that statement alone can Mm. resonate with so many people. But again, that's one of those things where it's scary to say out loud because a lot of times when we're struggling with something, we're like, if I tell someone this, they're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to think I need to go see a doctor, where in reality, a lot of us have felt that way at one point or another. Exactly. And it's so true. And like, yeah, no one wants to admit that like their thoughts are poisonous or bad. Like no one wants to seem like a bad person. And like the thing was, like I knew I wasn't a bad person. I knew that it was something else that was making me feel this way. And I was like, what would life be like if I didn't have to rely on something to like be a normal person? Yeah. Like, wouldn't that be nice, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm curious, you had said before that you kind of hit this rock bottom because you were at a place where you didn't have weed. Was that self-inflicted? Did you know, like, I'm struggling with this, so I need to quit? Or did you just like not have any? No, I literally just ran out when I was on a trip with my family and I was like oh my god this is horrible I hate the world I wasn't seeing any guys at the time I just felt so alone it was like I needed weed in order to like even be a semblance of happy and that's when I was like And then again, like I was like my, you know, in my head, I want to like ruin this trip for everyone because I'm miserable. And I just realized like none of this was normal. Like I was crying. I was just so like, it was like I was going through an actual withdrawal. And, and that's when I was like, yeah, this is obviously something that's not good for me. Like I know people think weed is like chill and it is for a lot of people. For me, I was like, okay, something is not right here. Yeah. I'm wondering if, because I heard you say that you were on vacation with your family, did they notice that anything was wrong? Oh yeah, they did. To the point where when I got back, they wanted to come to my therapist with me. Oh, get out. And they wanted to put me on antidepressants and I was not wanting, like not willing to do that. For Mm -hmm. me, I just was like, okay, I'm already like addicted to something. I don't want to be addicted to something else, which by the way, like 
Antidepressants, anti-anxiety are amazing. Amazing. For so many people. For yes. so many people. Mm-hmm. For me, I was like, I just don't want to, and it's so ironic because I was such an addict in other ways, but I was like, I just don't want to have to rely on like a pill to be happy. Mm-hmm. Like, so I decided to, that's when I decided to do uh, CBT therapy. And that's when I changed or like got an additional therapist and then eventually weaned off of that therapist, the initial one. And I did cognitive behavioral therapy, which is more like, I mean, you can probably explain it better than I can, but it's more like action oriented therapy where like you actually have to take action and do things. Um, and like be like, it, it just helps you control your emotions better, which is something I had no idea how to do at the time. Yes. 100%. That is exactly how CBT works. It actually changes people's attitudes and their behavior by focusing on thoughts, images, beliefs, attitudes, etc. So, yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, it was it was really amazing. Is that or is that the kind of therapy that that you do? Um, so I primarily that is what talk therapy is. If you go to a therapist, they will by a large amount probably be doing CBT just because it is kind of the, I don't know how to put it in words. It's just like the norm, I guess. Um, But I do change to other types of therapy depending on the client. So like there's something called DBT. So sometimes I'll use that on a client. It really depends on what the client is coming in for, what they're struggling with. But in large, I definitely use CBT more than I use anything else. Yeah, it's really such an amazing, I mean, I know so many people who aren't necessarily pro like psychotherapy, but love CBT, DBT therapy options. So like, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, therapy's not for me, like I would maybe try one of those. Absolutely. And I actually, I, like I said, I do use CBT more, but I do love DBT because it really focuses on acceptance in interpersonal relationships and kind of Mm -hmm. validating behavior changes and stuff. And I think that is so important for all of us to have. You know, acceptance is really, really hard for everyone, myself included. I really struggle struggle accepting things that I don't want to accept. Totally. Yeah. Acceptance is like a huge, huge part of growing up and just like not playing victim anymore it's like you only become self-aware in those ways truly through therapy I think yeah so speaking of acceptance what was it like accepting the fact that you were addicted to something it was really hard I mean yeah my first moments where I had made the decision to get sober I was like yeah, well, like I, you know, I smoke too much weed, but I, first of all, I'm not addicted. I was like, I might drink, but like, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not like considering myself an addict. Like, I just really look down upon these terms and maybe it's because there's a stigma attached. But mm-hmm. like, I think, I think really, I just thought I was better than so many people who might have found themselves addicted to something. And it was really hard for me to accept that now I can't move forward in my life and do something like smoke weed casually. Like for me, it is not, 
you know, just one puff, like it's, it's a whole to do. And I think that it's really important to like have that awareness and it really only comes when you either go to therapy or like you're of sound mind and like you are sober for like an extended period of time. Like even like I have friends who did whole 30 recently and you know, there's no alcohol in involved in it. And at the end of it, they're like, I don't want to drink. Like I don't care about drinking the way that I thought that I did before I took this month and did whole 30. Like I just don't care. And so like, even if it's something that, you know, you're not, you're doing because you're not necessarily addicted, but it's not something that's good for you. And it's still like really interesting to take some time just to like get back in touch with yourself. I feel like our society like is never sober, especially during the pandemic. And like, I get that, but I feel like it could be necessary to like just check in with yourself. Absolutely. And I could not agree with you more about the fact that our society is not really sober. It is such a social thing to do, especially when you're a young adult and you're not married yet and you're going out all the time and you know, you're going on dates with your boyfriend and all of that. It's kind of the norm to be like, let's go get drinks. Let's go to dinner and get drinks. Let's, you know, go bowling and get drinks. So what is it like? What was that transition like for you going from drinking and smoking all the time to sobriety? Yeah, it was really tough. I mean, I didn't know what to do with my time. I had so much free time. Right. But also time was moving so much quicker because when you're high, time moves very slowly. Mm -hmm. And so the days were flying. I was like, of course, the second I get sober and like actually want to like have a day, (laughs) the day flies by, you know? Yes. And I was like, uh, so I was really lucky because when I got sober, it's it's funny that I'm even saying lucky, but you'll understand because now there's a pandemic. Like if I got sober today, I wouldn't have been able to do a lot of the things that I did when I initially got sober, which were like, you know, um, meet up with fr- other friends that were sober. I went to movies, like RIP movie theaters, <laughs> but I, w- I would go to movies whenever I would be thinking about weed or have like two hours free in my schedule because I work for myself. Right. I would go see a movie alone um, just to get myself out of the house and to keep myself busy because in the moments where I didn't have something to do is when I would usually smoke. Um, and I would do things to like replace smoking. Like if I wanted to roll a joint, I would make a, a cup of tea. And then I would see like how often I'm making tea and be like, wow, it's really crazy that I'm smoking that often. Um, and just like trying to show up for people in my life more, like calling my friends and calling my family members that I might not have acknowledged when I was in the heat of my like weed stuff or just trying to show up more, you know? Yeah. And it's so interesting that you bring up the pandemic aspect because that's actually something I thought a lot about in the beginning of this whole shit show, because could you imagine trying to be sober for the first time, or even if it's not the first time, trying to be sober and then having the world shut down and literally having nothing to do. I can't imagine the, you know, torture that probably was for so many people who did that. I'm with you. Like it would be, you know, so crazy. And it really, I'm so, I admire anyone who has made a choice to get sober 
during this pandemic or even just like stopped for a week, like it is so admirable because like you're home essentially. And like you have, unless you get rid of all your alcohol, you get rid of all your weed, you get rid of whatever else you're addicted to in the house. Like it's all there. And so that's like real self-control and willpower. Absolutely. And you know, I don't struggle with addiction myself, but even I caught myself throughout the pandemic, especially the first month or so, because if I'm sure you remember in the beginning, we thought this was only going to be a two-week thing. So I kind of viewed it as like, woohoo, a two-week party. Like, I'm drinking with my family. Like, I'm eating way too much. I'm eating shit I shouldn't be eating. But like, you know, I caught myself and I was like, you have drank for the last like 10 days in a row. And even if I'm not going crazy, that is still not my norm to drink every day. So I had to check myself and be like, this isn't healthy for me. Um, so again, I can't imagine putting myself in the shoes of someone who does struggle with addiction and is trying to get sober. Cause that was hard for me. You know, you really have nothing else yeah. to do. Right. No, it's really hard. And like, it, it really makes you question like when I'm reaching for a drink, what are the reasons? Mm, yeah, that is true. So now looking back at you know, your past drinking and smoking, what were those reasons that you were looking to do those things? Well, there was a lot of different reasons. I would say, you know, when I was single, a lot of it was fear of rejection and fear of vulnerability. Like, oh, if I'm high for this date or if I'm drunk, you know, on this date, like anything bad that happens will affect me less. Or if this date goes bad, I'll just go home and get high. Like, who cares? Mm. Um... Or, you know, I want to be chill. I don't want to care as much. So I'm going to escape from my thoughts, escape from my myself. Or just like, you know, it, it really, it's like when you don't like yourself, you don't want to be with yourself. You Absolutely. don't want to, like, you don't want to be, like, it goes back to like having thoughts that you don't like. Like, you don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. um, and so... I think just my life wasn't in a place where I felt safe being sober almost, which is like a scary thing to even say out loud. Yeah. Um, and like, I was like, if I smoke, I'll like my family more. I'll be nicer to them. Like it was a weird thing that I just like came up with in my head when in reality, like none of that was true. And it was actually making all of my relationships worse. Um, and and I imagine like for you, you know, when you pick up a drink during the pandemic, like it's because you're scared and you're stressed and like, that's way more normal than a lot of the, like not saying that like you should be drinking right. like when <laughs> you're scared and stressed, but you know what I'm saying? Like yes. that's way more normal than like not being able to be with yourself. Like I, I think when you are like drinking socially or you're smoking socially, that's, fine it's like when you start to do those things alone and like not want other people around when you're doing them so it's more for you and you can have more of it then like that's when it's red flaggy absolutely and I think the problem with this well one of the many problems with this pandemic was that people were drinking solely out of boredom like there was nothing else to do so it's like well I might as well get fucked up like what else should I do exactly yeah. So kind of morphing your two worlds, what was it like? Because I do know from your personal Instagram that you have a boyfriend now, but I'm wondering what it was like for you entering the dating world sober. 
Yeah. So I actually, I am for sure a serial monogamist. And for that reason, I had a boyfriend when I got sober initially. And that was really necessary for me because it would have been hard to immediately go out into the dating world sober. Right. Very freshly sober. Um, and even, and even if I didn't have a boyfriend then I, you're not technically supposed to like date your first year of sobriety. Like it's just not recommended by anyone who's like doing it. They'll tell you that. Right. Just because you want to put like the sobriety first. So I was lucky that I was able to focus on that. Um, and then when we broke up, I did date without alcohol and I did date sober and it was, it was funny. Like it's, it's interesting to see how people react to it. Um, I ended up actually going out with like a few people who were also sober. What just was that because like? That was interesting. I, so I actually f- found out that I gravitate to people who are not sober because I like what's different than I am. Mm, okay. Um, but I did respect and like enjoy all the dates with sober people because I had never experienced that before. And it was just easy not to have to explain like, here's why I don't drink or, yes, you know, um, but I remember one date I had, I, they were coming over to my apartment. It was like someone I knew before. So I wouldn't just do that with a rando just to like (laughs) clarify. They were coming over to my apartment and they didn't know I was sober. And so they brought a bottle of wine, which is like so normal and so nice. And like something that someone should do um, when they go to your apartment. But I then had to be like, okay, so I actually don't drink wine and don't drink. And like this gesture was really nice. But then I felt so bad that I was like, why don't you drink the wine? Right. And so like he drank the wine and I was just like sitting there and he was drinking wine and I was like doing a puzzle or something. (laughs) And the dynamic was just like off because, um, you know, like you want to be on the same page. Right. When you're early stage dating, like when you're, when it's your boyfriend or girlfriend and like they want to drink wine and you're not drinking, like whatever. But like, but when you're getting to know each other, it's like, it's better to be on the same page. Mm, Yes. And I was just going to ask, do you find that for you, you need to date someone who is also sober or who's not? Because there are people who live a sober life that it is very, very important to them to also be with someone who is sober because if they're not, there will be that temptation for them. For me, I just want to be with someone who doesn't have a complicated relationship with substances and like alcohol. So my partner now, he's not sober, but he doesn't really care about drinking. Like he's not a regular drinker when he is like in a social situation, like he'll have a beer or like he'll have a drink, you know, with his friends when like they're going out or whatnot. Um, But In the past, I did, like, date someone, you know, who needed to, like, I've dated a few people, actually, who needed to have a drink every night and didn't know when to stop and, like, would get in fights after drinking or their personalities would change or, like, they'd be, you know, not as nice to me during drinking. And, like, that kind of partner, I would not be okay dating, but someone who has a normal relationship, who's like a normie towards alcohol, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it always kind of fascinates me that there are those people who 
you know, drink every single night because that is just for me personally, I don't like the way I feel the day after I drink. And that's not to say I don't drink. Like I definitely am a social drinker. I love going out with friends and I, you know, love having a good time. And a lot of times that does revolve around alcohol, but I hate the way I feel the next day. And I, you know, wake up with anxiety and I just need to drink water. And all I want is a big greasy cheeseburger. And, you know, so for me to drink every day is just not sustainable for me. But there are people out there who, you know, choose to do it. And it does make you wonder, like, well, are you doing this because you enjoy it? Or are you doing this because you have a problem? Yeah, exactly. And it's a fine line, you know, like, it's really hard to tell. And that can also change a lot. Like, like there are moments maybe in someone's life where they are drinking too much or doing something too much. And then there are moments when they're not. And so it's hard to tell sometimes if it's like a real problem or if it's just like a moment or, you know, things like that. Yeah. So how is your boyfriend with you're not drinking? He's totally cool with it. I have to assume. He's totally cool with it. And he's really sweet and like protective of it. Um, You know, he'll always make sure that, I have like water or, you know, he, he doesn't, he would never like be too in my face about something that he's doing that he knows that I can't do. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's also honest with me about what he does do because, you know, like if you're, I I love how I'm using the term normie, but like, I don't (laughs) know what else to say, but like, if you're a normie, like, you'll like drink every now and then like maybe you'll like eat a weed gummy every now and then like maybe you'll like have a night where like you I don't know like uh, like I'm I'm not saying he does this but like you know some people will maybe like eat a couple chocolate mushrooms whatever it is you know Mm -hmm. or like maybe someone will like do a line of coke I'm not saying that anyone should do any of these things right yes (laughs) to do any of these things as a normie he would never hide it from me which would be hurtful, you know, like I, I'm happy for him to do anything that he wants to do, but like, I want to be in the, I want to be in the know, like I want to be in on the joke, you know, like I, I feel like some like friends of mine who are sober, their partners won't want to tell them when they're doing X, Y, and Z Mm. because they might be mad. But for me, I'm like, I want to know, like, I almost want to like live vicariously. And like, if you're, you know, eating a weed gummy, like I want to know so that like, I can like make your experience cool because like, I'm not a loser because I don't do those things. Like if anything, I know more about them than, than the other person. And so I want to like, I want to know. Absolutely. And I have to ask, do you, do you listen to the armchair expert podcast? I, I do. And I, so not regularly enough, but I do. And I listened to his episode where he talked about his relapse recently. Ah, yes. Day seven. But um, he had in a lot of his episodes, I think you would really enjoy them because he actually has verbatim said what you just said. Like he likes having guests on and he likes engaging in these types of conversations about like how fucked up they got or like crazy nights they got mm. like because I am an addict and I cannot do that. But I still feel like when you're telling me that, I am living through that. So that is so fascinating totally. to me. Yeah. 
That's so interesting. I love Dax. I think he's so great. Um, and I, I do actually find when I listen that a lot of what he says is similar to what I say. Maybe that's just like a being sober thing. Um, but it, it's he's great. He is the best. I love listening to his podcast and I love that he drops like three episodes per week. It's great. It's amazing. I don't know how the fuck he does that because if I drop three episodes per week, I would not be able to like breathe. Totally. I don't know how he does that, but. So speaking, I know he's great, but speaking of podcasts, I'm wondering what it's like for you because your whole podcast is about millennial dating and you're off the market now. So what has that transition been like for you? It's tough. I feel like it's not, there are moments where it's not great for business, you know, Um, (laughs) because there are are you know I have gotten feedback that's like you're not as relatable because like you're in a happy stable relationship and I'm like damn like I I get that you know because when I was dating I hated people who were in great happy relationships like I didn't want to know about them um I wanted to like identify and I wanted to hear other people's struggles and so for that reason I do get that but I I like to think that like when you have a baby, like a podcast, like it has to grow with you, you know, totally. And I want my listeners who are now getting older and like closer to my age, um, to realize that like, okay, now I'm in a different stage and like, I'm still going to speak to it. Like, I'm still going to talk about like the fights I have with my partner. It's not like everything's off limits now that I'm in a relationship. Like, I am still a human and yeah, I'm in a great relationship, but like, that doesn't mean it's like flawless. And that doesn't mean that like whoever's listening can't get to that point too. And so I'm just speaking to like what I know in my situation now, which is like what it looks like to have a healthy relationship and, you know, like how to talk about moving in together and like that kind of stage stuff. But it doesn't mean that I'm closed off to like, the single listener. Like I still have guests come on that are single and have like dating experiences now, like they're on the market or, you know, going through it. And so like, I make sure that I try to incorporate all of that still, but it's, but it's tough. It's like, it probably you know, like, feels like you can't win. Like, okay. Oh, you can't. Yeah. You can't win. So it's like, you're in a happy relationship, like personally, that is amazing. But then you have listeners who were like, hey, I liked it better when you were miserable and single. But it's like, fuck, exactly. I'm <laughs> But then it's like, would you, if you were listening to a dating podcast, would you rather the host be single always or be in a good relationship to show you that, like, the advice that she's learned through the podcast works? You know what I mean? But you're right. It's like, you can't win. Yeah, especially, and I think at the end of the day, what people who aren't in the podcast world or business world don't really realize is that this is a business. So like, yes, it's your personal life, but your business is based off of your personal life. So when there's changes in your personal life, there's going to be changes in your business, whether that's for better or for worse. Exactly. And like, that's just the way that it goes. I think it is a good idea though. Like you had said, you have single guests on and stuff. So that way your listeners who are still single are still getting that piece of relatability but then there's also your listeners who I'm sure in the last however long it's been since you started your podcast have transitioned from the single life to 
the date to, um, you know, the monogamous life. Um, so I'm sure for them, it's almost more relatable that you are now there too. Totally. You're giving me so many like food for thoughts and poll question ideas. So oh my I God. It. I love that. I love doing your polls. I literally wake up each day and I'm like, I wonder what she's going to post today. That's amazing. It's <laughs> it's a lot of crowdsourcing. People write in some really great questions. So people write in those questions and then you pull us based off of listener write-ins? Exactly. So it's most, most of the time it's from our listeners. Um, but every now and then I'll slip in a poll maybe to like settle a fight with my boyfriend or something like that. (laughs) Oh my God. That is amazing. That is relatable. Turning to your audience being like, Hey, settle this for me. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's the best. And then like within seconds, I'm like, well, 30 people agree with me and (laughs) and only seven people agree with you. So, so you're wrong, honey. Exactly. Oh my God. Well, this has been really, really fun. And I do want to end and ask you kind of what is next for We Met at Acme? Also, how did you get that name? Great questions. I got the name because I used to go to this bar called Acme in the Lower East Side, like NoHo area. And I actually was stalking this couple on Instagram who met at Acme. It just sounded so cool that it's like the We Met at Acme. So I was like, I'm going to that's the name. Um, and it just stuck. And what do I see next for the podcast? Hopefully something on a bigger scale, like maybe I'm able to be, you know, I love the idea of being like the older sister, like guiding people. Yes. So anything like that on a bigger scale would be great. We're working on some things as it relates to the poll questions. So that is TBD. And then I don't know, just, you know, still doing what we're doing and reaching more and more people and hopefully growing. So I'm really excited. I know. And I cannot wait to follow along your journey, but I do want to say thank you so much for sharing so much of your life with everyone. And I feel like people who are in your shoes, who are influencers, bloggers, you know, just social media people don't get that thanks enough because it really is a job and you don't have to do that. So thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story because that's awesome. Well, of course. Thank you so much for having me and giving me a place to share my story. And I'm so excited to share this with my listeners so they can tune into your podcast. Yay! I know, me too. But Lindsay, thank you so much for hopping on today. This was so much fun. So fun. Yay! All right. That was another episode of Real Fucking Talk, guys. I'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Real Fucking Talk. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, rate, and review. See you next week.